Dear listener, welcome to the show. What show? Viral. Highlands. Hey, Meg. This is Viral. Oh, that sounded really good. Really? Oh. <laughs> I was like, we need a sound engineer. Yeah. If only, oh, we, well. ooh, if only we knew a really handsome sound engineer. Oh my God. Mm. I think we do. Whoa, what? Oh God. Welcome, dear listener. We're so glad you're here. Yay. Uh, Linz, what's on the whiteboard today? We're going to talk about anti-fatness. However, mm. but first. But first, let us tend to the business of consensual olfactory pleasure. All right, let's do it. I would like to break down a Yankee candle for you. Please do. I am giving you consistent and enthusiastic consent to do this. Oh, I will continue to check in, but I like that as a baseline. (laughs) (laughs) Yankee candle corner. Okay, so today for our talk about anti-fatness, we have smoked vanilla and cashmere. Ooh, wrap me up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Top note, which is the initial impression, first tickle. Raw sugar, Yum. black currant, mm. and where we all knew we were going, charred marshmallow. Yum. Yum. Okay. Middle note, main body, smoked mm-hmm. cinnamon, mm. charcoal, okay, vanilla ash. Not when the it, vanilla. No. Just the burned. Burnt. Burned down. <laughs> yeah. Too hot for Ooh. a candle. Burned. <laughs> clove bud. Not yet. No, a clove is it? man <laughs> or adult. <laughs> clove bud and cashmere. Ooh. Yes. Supple. The base note, the final lingering impression. Molten amber. Um, so lava? <laughs> if lava were amber. And smelled, yeah. Lava smelled real good. If lava smelled, yes, warm. Yeah. And no. Creamy musk. Ugh, that's disgusting. <laughs> it's like musk is already kind of, like, when I think of musk, I think of just like, the way uh, my husband just, smells oh, after he runs. God, I was like, we should back right away from wherever you're going with with and musk, like and then creamy. to add a cream component to the I musk. I was gonna say, you just dip, like dump ah. ranch dressing oh, on top of God. It? Oh, you're Michigan showing. I know. Well, uh, okay. So also red cedar. Okay, I'm okay with. That. And I was practicing this one, guaykwood. So is it guayak or guayak? What? G-U-A-I-A. That's a wood. lot of vowels. Guayac wood. Okay, but I think what we can agree on okay. is that it smells delightful. It really does. I actually really enjoy this. I'm a... I do love vanilla. Mm. People think that vanilla is boring. It's a very complex oh. scent. Y- yes. Uh, yes. Agreed. You can have it smoked. You could burn it to ash. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. But I thought it was important to bring a punch Thank for you. this really important podcast. Yeah. All joking aside, and it is delightful. It, it does smell delightful. like a warm, mildly musky hug. Yeah. And we're going to walk away. In a good way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so, so <laughs> moving along. Back to the topic at hand. Mm-hmm. We are going to first do some disclaimers because this is a complicated topic, and I think it's a very new topic to public health. So the first disclaimer is that anti-fatness is a system of harm. 
As with all instances of systematized violence, the effects of anti-fatness are the most brutal on black bodies and disproportionately harm marginalized folks. And anti-blackness is inherent to anti-fatness. And that is not the focus of this particular episode. And there are many really smart folks working in those spaces, Sabrina Strings, Deshaun L. Harrison, Sonia Renee Taylor, many more. I also want to put a disclaimer out around language. Okay. We will use the word fat as a value-neutral descriptor, like short or tall. The word fat is being reclaimed in fat activism. Obese and overweight are concepts that rely on BMI or body mass index as a legitimate spectrum of weight health. We reject the legitimacy of the BMI model. We will use these terms to discuss healthcare and public health because they are typically used in those spaces, not to describe people. Yep, that's right. And also a disclaimer about science for the scientists. This podcast is not a lit review. We've done enough of those in our time. Yeah, we paid our dues. That's not what we do. Yeah. We are going to hold two things constant as we go through this discussion. One, the causal relationship between fatness and poor health is not nearly as clear cut as folks think. Yeah. Number two, the negative health consequences of fat stigma and anti-fatness are underappreciated and underrepresented in the research. Yes. We're holding those two as constant. There are plenty of really smart people publishing a bunch of great research on that stuff. So if you are confused or in disagreement with either of those two very high level points, please go forth and do some research. And we're happy to have you back when you're done. Yes. And I would say that if you're looking for more information about um, anti-fatness, health, and just fat justice work, please, please, please take a listen to Maintenance Phase, which is a podcast Uh, that is hosted by Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs, specifically the episodes about the obesity epidemic and is being fat bad for you, we will make sure to add some links in the show notes for you with all of these resources. All right. So moving into it, Lindsay. Yeah. Lindsay Grove. Yes. I've said this to you, and I also want to say it here to you, dear listener, You have been a real inspiration to me in learning about fat stigma. Mm. You feel liberating to me. You are so deeply intentional about your body, about how you feel about your body, about your body being something that exists in an organic sociopolitical space. And I don't don't know if you connect with this feeling and, and how you go about your life because it feels very organic, like it's just something that you do. It's the way you live. But that energy and that intentionality spills out into the lives of the people around you. And it, and, it, and it allows us a broader space to exist in our own bodies. And I'm so grateful to you for that and what you've brought into my life. And I'm so grateful to be able to do this podcast with you and talk about this with you because you, you've really encouraged me um, and inspired me to learn more about it. So oh I wanted to start gosh. out with that. Well, thank you. Um, Midwest. <laughs> This is recorded, so I'm going to listen to it on repeat um, while I also <laughs> this, listen to RuPaul's Drag Race uh, or RuPaul's <laughs> Cover Girl on repeat when I'm not feeling great. Oh, I, I do. I want it to be my ringtone. Oh, my God. And I'll just call you Erday. Oh, gosh. Lindsay, you liberated. Oh, my God. Well, honestly, being able to talk about this with somebody else 
in a space that feels authentic and non-judgmental is extremely liberating to me. So I really appreciate you making that space for me and also allowing us to explore this on this podcast because I think there's a lot that we can talk about and think about as we try to apply this to public health practice because we ain't real good at that. Mm. Yeah, turns out we did that wrong. Yeah, so so what do you want to talk about first? What do I want to talk about first? Well, I think, and this this was, a, and we'll, we'll say this, this was a hard, this was an interesting, I'm not going to say hard, this was an interesting episode for us to think through and plan. Yeah. Trying to figure out how yes. to even get into this. What yeah. language to use, how yeah. to, what disclaimers were important for the work that we want to do. And so I think where we landed, which is, I think, was helpful for me in clarifying, is starting with our own personal experiences. Yeah. It does feel like, and I don't, I mean, this is no disrespect for the people who have been working tirelessly yes. in the kind of, yep. in addressing and naming and, and studying anti-fatness. Mm-hmm. But for mainstream public health, it does feel like this is newer to the game. Yep. And it, we're finally picking up some critical mass to get to a point where we're, we're talking in healthcare spaces, yeah. we're talking in insurance spaces about what this means. Yeah. So for me, I, as, as I like start this journey of understanding mm-hmm. how the work impacts the, the things that I am called to do in mm-hmm. the world, I want to kind of start with our origin story. Oh, I love that. So I would love to know from you yeah. your story about weight, about fatness, about learning mm-hmm. that fatness is a thing, learning yeah. your relationship with your body. So how, how what, what was that story? Well, I'm just going to put just a, f- <laughs> a few more disclaimers in there. Do it. Um, I am going to, we are going to talk about body dysmorphia and also uh, disordered eating. So I, I want to just make sure that folks know that that is coming up. So if you, you know, if you needed a trigger warning, here it is. Um, so Weight and all of the different facets that come with weight has always been a part of my life. Mm. I actually really can't remember a time when I wasn't comparing my weight to other people. From when I discovered that my body could be compared to other people, I think weight has just always been a part of that. And that always that meant too that I was always thinking about how I looked, how much exercise I was getting, the kind of food I ate. And talking about weight even you know about um your own weight or others weight was was a normalized conversation in my family in fact you know my mom who i love dearly Mm -hmm. you know has i I don't remember a time where she wasn't dieting or trying to lose weight Mm -hmm. um and i think that that really has had a profound impact on my relationship to my weight and how i feel about my body and i know that this isn't a unique experience for me i know yeah. that this is the story for lots of people and i was an active kid you know i played sports played basketball and softball i played outside a lot my parents were like get the fuck out of my house and go outside <laughs> run like in a cornfield yes get outside wrestle some hogs yeah we Lots we were chasing pigs around our yard every day from like March until August until the fair. Like when they're, when they're really the friskiest. Yes. I think. They're really fast, actually. So we were we were just I was always outside. I was always active, but still concerned about my weight, still looking at other people and thinking, oh, my gosh. Do you have I, an age? Like where where are we here on the spectrum? I mean, I think 
one of the most visceral um, experiences I had when I when my weight was really pointed out to me was when I was in middle school. This other, this guy, this actually this other boy, this boy who had I had a crush on a little bit. He had said something. He's like, "Well, how much do you weigh?" And I said, "Like, I think I said, you know, oh, I weigh like 105 pounds." And he's like, "Girls shouldn't weigh that much, or something like that." And I remember thinking, "Oh my god, you know, I I am devastated, you know." So it's like that's like the first you know kind of memory of me being hyper aware, and and it being pointed out to me by somebody else. Which is also and a boy, and a boy. And what's interesting is like even when I went, I mean, I think I got it's it it definitely got worse in high school because you're you know, you're just hyper aware of how you look all the time regardless. And I I remember um, I had a teacher tell me after like returning from summer break, and during summer break I was doing weight conditioning, I was running, I was biking, I was getting ready for basketball season because in Michigan basketball season is in the fall. Mm-hmm. And I also had done basketball camp and I remember him pulling me aside and, and telling me, are you okay? You look real, you look way too skinny. Mm. And I remember looking at him thinking that is the craziest thing I've ever heard because I, I am not too skinny. In fact, like I could definitely lose some weight. Like, whoa, there's never a time where I've thought I'm, I'm at a okay weight. So like to clarify, I've, an adult who cared about you yes. thought that you were too skinny yeah. to be healthy, and somehow in your mind you were still carrying a should trim down. Yeah, which I think is insane, you know. Um, so being overweight is something that I always consider myself, regardless of the amount of physical activity or diet. It's like I was always trying to reach this ideal weight, whatever that might be. I knew it was below whatever I was, right? Oh, like moving the goalposts. Like yeah. It didn't matter where you were. Yeah. It was just less. The ideal it, weight was somehow less than It was always less. Yeah. You know, and it's as a, as now like a 30 something person, I look back at pictures of me and I'm like, what in the, right. <laughs> what was I thinking? You know? And I, and again, I know this is not unique to me as a person, as a woman, as a queer person, I that now as I am a practitioner in public health, it becomes a lot more complicated, right? Like squaring my personal experiences with how we intervene with people regarding fatness. So yeah, there's a big should, right? Like it it feels like part of, because we have different stories and part of the creed is is somehow like to to get it, right? Mm -hmm. We have to reject it. Yeah. Right. So like you have to you have to do this thing where like as a public health person, as as, as a person who has the, the real privilege to be in kind of spaces where yeah. we're unpacking systemic harm and yeah. these frameworks that are bullshit, that aren't yeah. ours, that we that we reject. Yeah. We have to know that and internalize it and do some sort of work so that at the other end we can reject it and live this liberated life. Yeah. And like, fuck it, I weigh what I weigh and I'm just OK. And I'm just supposed to like because I've intellectualized it. Yeah. Right. Which is kind of a colonized way of thinking. Right. Because I understand it. Yes. Therefore, I can just tell myself to reject it and my body will move in space in a different way. And like Godspeed, I I think there are people who can do that. That doesn't seem to be a really that to me, that feels almost like an additional stress, like an additional thing I have to perform. Yeah. On top of just, oh, shit, like. 
Yeah. It's hard to, it, it, it's hard to love my body in a world that is telling me that, that many of the things I am are unlovable or are, are yeah. outside of what they should be. And that we should be telling other people to not love their bodies, you know, like yeah. one of the things that, um, I think was really, that has really stood out to me lately about at least my journey in being a public health practitioner and and thinking about how anti-fatness fits into this is I used to teach um, a health education class on campus and I remember grad school undergrad this is undergrad so and I you know every time there's always a unit right on like physical activity and eating right (laughs) right right but it's so focused on weight loss Mm. And as I've, you know, learned more about how about fat justice and health at every size and, you know, more about just anti-fat stigma, when I started to get to those units, I I would just be like, you know what? Fuck this. Yeah, I'm a pass. I'm going to we're going to talk about it because it's on the dumb quiz, but I'm going to put in a lot of disclaimers and I'm also going to have a real talk with people, uh, with my students about, you know what, the BMI, we're, I know we're talking about it right now because it's on the quiz, but you should know that it's bullshit. Like, yeah, you the know, way we're so, presenting the science is completely oh, out of whack with yes, what's actually out totally. there. Totally. Sure. And, and I just feel like I couldn't sit up there as somebody who is, you know, a, a public health instructor but also a person who has struggled with their weight and with body dysmorphia and disordered eating Mm. and sit there and look at my students who probably have very similar experiences to me and put that back on them, not just as people, but also as future professionals. Right. From a position of power. From a position of power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it reminds me too of, um, we, I can't remember if, I think it was like a state surgeon general she, I rem, I'll never forget, um, there was like this whole thing about the state surgeon general who was, you know, uh, was fat, probably like more on the like small fat side mm-hmm. and people being like discounting her ability to, to be a public health professional because she was quote unquote overweight. Ugh. Well, how can you talk about nutrition or physical activity when like you look like that? Oh my God. And I just think about like all the people that work in public health, right? Like all of us have different bodies. Yeah. And it doesn't change our ability or skill set. It was such a, a violence against that person. Yeah. It's just, and, and she's it's a so public figure. Yeah. It's very reductive, right? Like, oh, you're just going to completely discount her. And, and yeah, she might, she probably was a person who was also putting out bad public health prevention information around weight loss and and whatever but you know to attack her personally around a topic that's extremely stigmatized and to discount her as a professional right is uh, I mean I just remember thinking like oh my gosh like if I ever decided to work in in the quote-unquote obesity epidemic area of public health like I better have my shit together you know which is like such a shitty thing well, you know? yeah, and it's like it's it's anti-science, right? I mean, yeah. science is about figuring out where you're wronging and making it better, yes. right? So, like, yes, 
obesity epidemic was fucking wrong. Yeah. And even if there are, are part, like, like with all things, it's complicated. Even if there are truths to be understood. Sure. Within people's relationship with their weight and food just, and, and, and fine. That's not the point. The, the framing of what public health did was wrong. Yeah. And like we, and we can learn to do it better. Yes. That is a fundamentally different thing than saying you live, you are a fat body Therefore, you cannot do science. You cannot do public yeah. health. I mean, it just, it, it erodes all, everything that we are trying to do in creating scientific spaces that pursue truth. Yeah. It's just, it's, and it's just, and it's fucking mean. It's just, don't it's, be a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like what? Okay. Like, shut your mouth. Yeah. Like, what do you know about public health? Bro. Yeah. Well, what's your story? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so what's going on with you? <laughs> So how you been? So how you been? How, how you been? Tell me what's going on with you, huh? Well, I don't know that I don't have a, a I, I have a different story than than yours certainly. Yeah. And I think when I, you know, when I was growing up, I had a lot of just like I got really lucky in a lot of protective factors. I remember, you know, as a young person, I was I was like you. I was always super athletic. Mm-hmm. I was super active. When I say I, I don't have a memory of feeling fat when I, I mean I'm like I don't know. You say I'm like fat of center. I'm like I'm fat enough to not be a part uh, to not look skinny in a way yeah right but i'm also skinny enough to benefit right yeah from systems of harm that really hurt fat people yeah right and i think deshaun harrison is is one of the people who has done just tremendous work about outlining those systems of harm yeah right and, and helping me orient to I can, I can be fat enough to experience some harm, mm-hmm. but also be skinny enough to like still be able to travel in airplanes, to yeah. to find clothes most sure. of the time off the shelf that fit. Yeah. So both can be true. So I'd, But as a young person, I don't, I don't have a, a memory as a young person of my weight at all. Yeah. Like it was just completely gone yeah. from all consciousness. I remember being, a, you know, like middle school like puberty mm-hmm. age and understanding that my body was different like I remember being heavier than my friends yeah um but I was also super athletic yeah and and that wasn't about keeping me quote skinny no. it was really about my body was valued as an athletic body and right. there was a diff even as yep. a woman there was a different framework yeah. yeah I was always you know one of the more successful athletes in a in in a school that really valued athletics yeah so it almost didn't you know, I had all of this grace around me as being kind of a tomboy. And so my body was, I really think, interpreted in a different way yeah. by adults and peers. And so it didn't, and, and I knew that I, I wasn't like, didn't feel comfortable like wearing the bikinis and going shirt off, like all the things yeah. that my, like the girls in my, who were my yeah. friends were doing. But I also never had a real desire to do that, I guess. Right. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't because you were afraid of people seeing your body as a certain size it was more so that like that that clothing was gendered yeah and like yeah and I it just, didn't I did, fit with how you wanted to express yourself yeah it felt really exposed but, but yeah. again it wasn't about because I felt shame per se I, or at least I don't I mean and maybe it was you know this is a story I recall yeah because I do remember growing being older and under and, and then like something switched like, yeah I don't, right like and then I was like Oh shit. And maybe it was like getting out of organized sports, you know, like yeah. getting, I was, I was no longer a, a you know, scholarship athlete, mm-hmm. all these things that I was like, oh man, like I am fatter than the people are, I think, I mean, like, and now I look back, I'm like, that was fucking crazy. Like that, yeah. that was actually factually inaccurate. Yeah. Right. Like whatever it felt yeah. like, but I do remember, but, but, but I, again, I remember at some point being like, 
oh, I have to, I have to manage this. Deciding that I was going to fucking love my body yeah. was, was coming in step with me figuring out that I was going to love myself as a gay person. Yeah. Right. As, and, and not just a gay person as like a, you know, this was before we had the robust language we have now about gender queerness, about trans yeah. folk. Like it wasn't just being gay. It wasn't just who I wanted to sleep with. It was how I wanted to look, how I wanted yeah. my clothes to fit me, how I wanted. So I think part of that work, right. It's a month, right. Like part of me kind of figuring out how to develop a callus yeah. to how the world saw me as a gay person, as a genderqueer person, mm-hmm. kind of just folded in this, yeah. this like, okay, well, my body then has to, has to be a part of that. My yeah. weight has to be a part of it. And honestly, like, once I got to a point where I was in queer spaces, mm-hmm. like, queer sex really was also a part of my liberation. When I started to be in spaces where my body was also desired yeah. sexually by people who I also wanted to have sex with. So that was also reinforced. So, you know, it wasn't that I don't have a, right? Like my, my story, I think I just, I bundled it in with like, shit kid, if you want to get through this, if you want to walk on these streets, look in the way you want to look, you better figure out how to be enough with yourself and not expect the world to like that shit at all. Oh, like, and you, and you yeah. better figure that out and yeah. you better bundle that. This yeah. is like a package deal. <laughs> this is, this is, yeah. this is a landline. That's right. This is cable. That's exactly. This yeah. is the internet. That's right. This is that spectrum bundle <laughs> yes. shit. You better loop all that weird shit in. I also have very small feet. I'm okay with that now after many years of reflection, but like you better bundle all that shit up and get good with it because the world, like if, if you're waiting on that to be validating for you, it, that's not gonna happen. That's it not there for It you. won't happen. Yeah, so that was never, and and it's I don't know that it's there for anybody, but it certainly felt very apparent that it wasn't there for me. Um, but that's but that's a, but that's a different path, right? Yeah, because it, it wasn't related to health. It was more related to aesthetic. Yeah, you know, and, and that's and exactly expression. Right. That's exactly right. My body yeah. has all, and that was the sports kind yeah. of protective factors. My body was always interpreted as healthy. Yeah, and and actually, I wonder now. If that's still the case. I mean, like when we were kids, you would like go to a basketball game and then get McDonald's on the way home. Yes. Like there was no nutritional yes. component no. to it. Like oh we really God. didn't. And now there's such a, a curated kind of industry around youth sports, yeah. especially the big ones like football, basketball, volleyball. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder now if it's if that's yeah. different. Again, like if you did well in sports, you got Dairy Queen. Yeah. You know, or... Like, yeah, we were, if I was going to, um, oh my God, I had batting lessons when I played softball. Afterwards, we always went to, to McDonald's. It's like, that is the worst diet I ever had was when I was like. When the adults controlled it. (laughs) Yeah, right? I'm like, I, I rarely eat those things now, Mm. you know? But then it, what a, what a dichotomy yeah. <laughs> you know like what a what a juxtaposition um I think now like well now that we talk about like you know where where are they now where where <laughs> those those sprightly young yeah, lasses yeah we're la- literally lasses lasses people there's no gender neutral lad lass it's ass ass Fault. just wear those asses wear at. <laughs> fair uh, these chairs together lens <laughs> tell me about your ass now so now okay so where are they now so that's the origin that's so now you're all woke and shit <laughs> now you're well, now you're a doctor of public health now i'm a doctor, doctor of, Lindsay Grove. yeah 
Well, hey, I had to get through a lot of uh, externalized and internalized anti-fatness to get to Mm. the place that I am today. Because honestly, um, my mindset and how I felt about my body really spiraled out of control in my 20s. I started to gain weight and I realized, um, you know, after a few panic attacks Mm. that I had unmanaged anxiety. So... Um, hashtag thank you therapy Mm, Um, so I honestly thanks to therapy and a great health at every size anti-diet nutritionist love ya yep I have been able to work through um, my body just I'm still working through don't get me wrong I'm I'm not at the end Mm. of that tunnel yet but I've been able to like really work through my body dysmorphia and um, disordered eating which I didn't realize I was doing You know, like it's one of those things that I had just done it for so long and I didn't realize that I was doing it. And through all of this too is learning about fat activism. And I just, for the longest time, I felt like, why? I feel like I'm fighting my body. I have tried to, you know, like reduce my caloric intake. Mm. Um, I was vegetarian for a long time. I, you know, have tried different ways of exercising And it just, every single time I did a diet, I always ended up gaining more weight back. So I'm like, what is, like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I, I feel like I have done everything that I can do that isn't going to, you know, essentially like break my psyche. And I think it's, it was really just like my subconscious telling me like, this, what you're doing is not good for you. I'm trying to help you, you crazy person. <laughs> like, you have no idea what's you, coming. Yeah, like, my body was like, yeah, fine. Okay? Like, yeah, there's some stuff you need to work on, but, like, cool it, you know? Yeah. So, you are know. You, are you comfortable talking about disordered eating and what that is and what it's been for you? Yeah. I Yeah, I am. So, I, I, I do want to make the distinction that, like, you know, there's disordered eating and there's eating disorders, right? So disordered eating is just, it, it, it is a pattern of eating that is not rooted in, in doing things that are healthy for you, right? Even though like you may think that they are, right? Like, like this um, is calorie deprivation yes. kind of stuff. I'll give you some examples. Like, um, a good example of disordered eating is eating not not wanting to eat in front of other people. Oh. So or like for instance like I would go grocery shopping and I would eat candy on the way home so that I wouldn't have to eat candy in front of you know my spouse. Oh my god. Because I was so ashamed that I wanted the candy. Thinking about uh eating as like a zero sum sort of thing, right? Where it's like well, I ate a big breakfast, so I'm going to skip lunch because I, I don't deserve it. Because so I'm hungry. Because even though I'm hungry, yeah. oh. I need to retrain my brain to not recognize that hunger, which is not healthy. Like your body does things in order to keep you alive. And so when you're hungry, your body's telling you, hey, like we need to eat. So that's just like, those are just some examples. Obviously, eating disorders are getting into the territory where it's like the extreme side of that, right? Like, um, but I want to point out um, that only 6% of people who have diagnosed eating disorders are considered underweight. 
So the vast majority of people who have diagnosed eating disorders are either are usually what we would consider on the BMI scale, which we reject, as overweight. But yet, like, people are often, when they think of eating disorders, they think of skinny white women. Yeah, emaciated. Uh, yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's uh, at least that is that is my experience with disordered eating. It's just, there's so much shame. There's so much judgment. It just, it feels like such a tremendous weight. I mean, like, yeah. That- yeah, I mean... It's, it's, it's a lot to carry. It is a lot to carry. You're constantly thinking about your next meal. You're constantly thinking... Uh, you're constantly shaming yourself into doing things like binging and purging, right? Like, I'm going to be good for a week. And then, like, on the weekends, you just, like, eat an entire bag of Oreos, you know, because you're right. just, like... Because you're at, like, because self-control is an yeah. exhaustible resource. Right. And you're, like, it can't fucking do that. This yeah. isn't sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, and also, like... Food doesn't have a morality. So as soon as we put morals no. on food. Yeah, we're blowing up the world right now. That, yeah. that there is no good bad, or bad yeah, food. This yeah. There's no sinful food. No, food what? is food. What? We assign morals to that. And we shouldn't because when we say, oh, that's a bad food, we want it more. And therefore we binge it. And it's like, it's just, it's craziness, you know? So mm. one of the things that's been really helpful for me and, and I'm just putting it out there, it has been, um, intuitive eating. Uh, it's, uh, basically just eating until you are satiated and mm. learning what satiation means for you and rejecting, you know, eating as a tool for weight loss. Eating should just be a tool for nutrition. Right. You know? Um, it also talks about like finding joyful movement, whatever that means to you. Right. It, intuitive eating, I, I really, and it's, it is very much rooted in, um, you know, rejecting weight loss as a tool for health and decoupling uh, health, you know, wanting a specific health outcome with weight loss. It's just about like, hey, we have been really bad about trying to lie and trick our bodies into thinking they're not hungry and that is like completely fucked up our ability to actually know when we're full oh shit yeah so I didn't know it's that's time to going. retrain yourself and also really think about what exactly you want and and not assign morals to food yeah and it seems like there's a food justice component to this too yes. right because like if i'm like on vacation and we, we've been there together and you're just yeah. like, you're eating shit, yep. not bad, but yeah. you're eating shit that you don't normally eat. You're eating, you know, pizza, you're drinking a ton, yeah. right? And you're putting bullshit. And, and again, I'm, I'm not saying that, the, but you're just, you're putting things into your body that you don't feel good. Like when yeah. I'm on vacation, I'm eating whatever I want. Yeah. I don't feel good. Yeah. Right. And it somehow in my mind, I'm like, ah, I'm somehow continuing to feed that. Like, it doesn't seem like there's any way out. Right. So having access to healthy food seems like, or, or whatever, it's to food that makes you feel good. Yeah. Right? Whatever that is. Yeah. Seems like a big part of this too. Oh, totally. Right? And food, we need to eat food for nutrition. We need, you know, nutrients, minerals, vitamins that we can derive from food products. So let's think about that and not, oh, I need to get into the maintenance phase of, you know, shout out. Um, of, <laughs> you know, of, of a certain weight, right? Whatever that like arbitrary number is. It's been a really interesting journey. I will say that. I will say that. And I think there's a lot we can do as public health practitioners. What do you think? 
it's such an offering to hear people's stories, right? Mm. So it's always a wonderful, you know, I'm always really grateful when people are willing to share their stories. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think the human element has totally been taken out, again, of, of this particular topic. I mean, when you see on the news, right, when they're talking about the obesity epidemic, it's like headless people with big bodies. Yeah, just walking away from the camera, yeah. right, without their consent. Yeah. Just sitting bodies on yeah you know they have no no faces because they're not people it's a cold sterile type of thing that is completely seems completely devoid of any kind of human connection yeah and it's like weirdly othering right even though the vast majority of us are on the overweight obese portion of the bmi scale which is bullshit which is bullshit the cognitive dissonance it takes to want to love yourself and be okay with your weight and who you are and your own health while also telling other people that what they're doing isn't right is kind of crazy. <laughs> like a touch. I think it's actually really harmful to the public health psyche, honestly. So I have a few things. Yeah. <laughs> so, I got a few. I, I, so I've been thinking. So I've been thinking. I think that as public mm-hmm. health practitioners, mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge a few things. One, that our approaches to prevention have to change when better science and data come out. And I know that there's going to be people out there that are like, we have, lot, we have a whole research body that talks about obesity and its impact on mortality and morbidity. And I would ask those people to... Take a look back at that actual data and look and see what was the methodology like? Did they use BMI? Did they control for certain variables? Because a lot of the studies that we're now revisiting had pretty faulty methodology. And again, this isn't a lit review podcast. So do your homework. We'll put some links in the show notes. I also think that not just with anti-fatness, but with a lot of other things, but especially Mm anti-fatness, we have to check in on our own biases and how Mm -hmm. they inform and or harm people in communities. I think that for many of us, we get into this field out of altruism, right? Like I got into public health because I knew I wanted to help people. I love being out in the community and talking to people and giving them information so that they can make good choices in their life so they can access resources, so they can like achieve the best health that they absolutely can. However, sometimes Mm -hmm. this turns into self-serving paternalism. Yes, sir. Especially, I'm a white woman. We love to be, you know. Helpful. Helpful. (laughs) That's not help. That's actually not helpful. Yeah, so... So I think that, you know, again, like going back to the fun police, we just love to tell people, you know, this is what you should be doing. And that is actually, honestly, a colonizer mindset too, right? Like that we think that we know best and therefore you should do it. Even though we are struggling in our personal lives to not engage in disordered eating. But you know what? It makes us feel better when we can tell other people how to live their lives right and there's right i mean my goodness if you think about like the absolute core of anti-fatness is a thousand percent 
capitalism, consumerism, obviously anti-blackness, anti-queerness, anti, um, I would say like definitely misogyny. I mean, it's, I mean, and again, we can talk, there's a, a lot of other people that have done a lot of great scholarship around this particular topic, but I think we really have to check in with ourselves. And again, not with just anti-fatness, but with other things to say, are we actually helping people by stigmatizing them and shaming them into the desired behavior, quote unquote, rather than just listening to them and trying to meet people where they're at? Where is the compassion? Where is the empathy, right? If we know that fat stigma and the mental health effects of that are actually more detrimental than anything we can link to any other physical health around fatness, like what are we doing? We saw this with the AIDS epidemic. We can't shame people into using condoms. We got to meet people where they're at and we have to have compassion for them. Those are the things that are grinding my gears right now. (laughs) You know? What's grinding your gears? What's grinding my gears? Yeah. I don't disagree with any of that. Is there anything you want to add? Is there anything I want to add? I mean, I I think I have a... Again, like our our stories are different. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of... So where I am now and how... Right, like how how all of this came together. Because again, we grew up. You know, you have the experiences you have as a as a person in mm-hmm. the world, and then you learn this skill set. Yeah, right. And especially with fatness and anti fatness, I learned it in grad school. Yeah, I didn't learn it on the streets. I learned it in a classroom at the University of Michigan. Go blue. Oh God, I wanted it to do. I wanted to do it, <laughs> and you did it, and I'm so glad you did because it felt like a weird segue. But yes, uh, the heart wants what the heart wants. Yes. I'm grateful for the experiences I had as a youth. I'm, I'm certainly, I mean, mm-hmm. tremendously grateful for the way my brain expanded in grad school. I mean, that was a tremendous mm-hmm. gift to be able to, to go through that program. Recently, I've had a different experience with weight that has been, it, it has been tremendously helpful to me, mm-hmm. one, to know you, oh. and two, to have the, the, the ideas of anti-fatness and the analysis mm-hmm. of anti-fatness as a system of harm, as a way to colonize people, mm-hmm. as a way to subjugate women and black folks and queer folks, as I'm going, because, so during COVID, COVID was rough. Yeah. I didn't enjoy it. Was, it. it was objectively terrible. <laughs> Is continu- and it continues. Yeah. I didn't have fun. I nope. didn't like it. Um, some people were like, ah, I got, you know, I started to like work out every day. I was like, I started drinking at 1030 every day. Yeah. Like it was bad. <laughs> I didn't have fun. But, and as, and, and like, to be fair, I'm learning to be gentle with myself for how I as you should traversed be. the vast expanse yes. of, of COVID. One of the things that happened is during COVID, I gained perhaps like many people, Probably like five to 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. So uh, an amount of weight that still allowed me to fit in my clothes, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, but, but that I felt different. Yeah. My body felt different to me, mm-hmm. which was actually not a terribly new thing. Again, like growing up flexing on like, I have to love my body. Like I had the tools and I, but, and somehow as this, as this kind of progressed into 2022 and in 2023, I was like, you know what? No, this is like. I'm really struggling mm-hmm. with my weight. 
Like it, for the, yeah. for really the first time in my life, it became it came to like the forefront, and you're like, where did this come from? I was from? like, what? Why am I? Why do I so feel so out of control mm-hmm. with this? Like I know all the things to. I know the hygiene, what I tell myself, how I look at myself, right. how I use my body, how I rejoice in my body. Right, all those things. I was like, it's not clicking, and it was really it was driving me fucking crazy because it felt like failure. It's like again, I'm a I have a high pedigree public health degree. <laughs> I she got ex- that U of M and well, Right? Like I am expect I am a I am I am interpreted amongst my peers as a professional in yeah. identifying systems of harm and acting. Yeah. A, She's a scholar. Know. Ooh. Ooh. That feels itchy, but I'll take it right now. <laughs> right? So like what 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 do I do with this? What the hell is going on? And I realized that it was it wasn't necessarily the weight. It was that when I saw myself and how my body put on weight, it felt feminine to me. It felt so interesting. feminizing to me in a way that as like kind of a masculine of center presenting human being mm-hmm. was incongruous. Yeah. I'm trying to not like put like really violent language on it. Just right. Kind of, but like incongruous yeah. with how I thought I should look. Yeah. And it was the first time my body had ever looked to me different than I believe that it should from a perspective of gender, mm-hmm. which I was like, oh my God, well, okay. So now as a, you know, 41, right, person who has, you know, spent many years being like, look, my body's my body. It's great. It does, yeah. you know, like learning. I was like, my body is, my weight now is somehow implicated in a gender representation that is far more perilous for me aligned yeah. to walk than weight ever was yeah it's like not, and again it had nothing to do with health for you it was more about expression that's a, i mean yeah you know that i is, love that peloton i'm on I, the peloton yeah. you know i love me some robin yeah. some kendall <laughs> yeah but i mean even in your mind like that's not that wasn't even a thought for you like it wasn't like what i what I find really interesting about what you said is that you felt out of control. So many times when people are, and I, and I felt this way too, right? Like right before you decide you're going into a diet, I'm eating whatever. I have felt out of control. Yeah. But it's more so about my health. But I also think it's about how we as a society look at weight as an indicator that you don't have willpower. Yeah, as a proxy for virtue. <laughs> yes, it 100%, right? Yeah. Like if you're fat, it's because you can't lose weight even though it's so simple. Yeah. It's Eat so less calories simple. Then you work out. Yeah. It's calories take, in, take calories out. It's like we're not a fucking computer, okay? Like it's that's not how this works. It's a proxy for your morality. You and I both have read Fat Shame, and it's so yeah. fascinating how fat has been interpreted throughout history. Political cartoons around the you know the early 1900s, fatness was a proxy for the excess of wealth. Yeah, and now we can't even fathom using something like that. Yeah, the fact that you said you felt out of control, I think, is a, a really interesting and also like a very common experience for how people feel when they're like. I feel when people are dealing with anti-fatness stigma, you know, like, well, clearly I'm, I, you know, this isn't how my body should look, 
and I, I don't have the willpower to make it look the way I think it should look or what society thinks it should look like. And then added on that, at least from your perspective, is also the gendering of of fatness, which is like, is really interesting. I mean, you know, as, as a person who identifies as, as feminine, I am a cis woman, weight loss has always been a gendered thing to me anyway, but like, right. it's so yeah. interesting to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. And again, there was this overlay of, of also like, the auto control is like, I should know better. I should oh know, I should gosh. know better than to be in this like fucking, in my like, and I've learned, I've, I've grown through this too. And this like basic fucking mindset of my body has to look the way it's got to be. Society tells me yeah. I have to look like I fucking yeah. did that, bro. Like I, I, I like walked that like path of fire. I am here. Like yeah. clear as a day is long. And like, so I don't have like a, a body. And so and as I was going through this, it really, it, it was, there was this moment where I was like, okay, I, I have to figure out what to do with this. Yeah. In a deeply, like in, in a way, like I have to figure out how to survive again, right? Like, oh shit, I'm in this like survival moment again. Cause I can't hate my body. Yeah. I can't be at war with my body. Yeah. Like it takes, and it, it takes concerted effort to get out of the house every day, right? Like you look, if you look the way that I, I mean, there are places I just don't go. Yeah. Looking queer. Like, looking how I look. There are places I'm not vacationing to. Yeah. There are places I'm not taking my wife, right? Like, it's amazing you still live here. Oh, Florida. <laughs> oh, Florida. I do <laughs> We Yes. We appreciate your sacrifice <laughs> in staying here. <laughs> it feels like a lot sometimes. It's, well, it's a heavy lift. I tell you. Yeah. But, like, it, it takes a lot to do that anyway. So, it's like, I yeah. can't... I, I can't erode my own love of self and yeah. expect to go out in the world and, and, and survive emotionally. Right. Cause yeah. I like the, the task is love yourself enough, understand your worth enough so that you don't need anything from anybody that you see out there in those streets. So they can look at you the way they want. They can talk the way they want. They can, you know, you're in the back, you can feel whatever. But at the end of the day, you know yourself and you love yourself. And I like, it is, it is a thing that I know is a part of my life that I yeah. do. So to have this whole other thing, Oh. And to feel like it's so base. And, and again, I, I'm not at all, you know, kind of um, minimizing how hard it is to get there. It was just something that I feel like I had done. Yeah. And then to come back to it and be like, at the end of the day, okay, then like, I just need to lose 10 pounds. Yeah. And then that feeling like a tremendous failure. Oh. Like a betrayal. Yeah. Like I'm betraying you, Lindsay, my friend, right? Like that, that I'm betraying this, this thing that I know to be true, which is anti-fatness is a lethal scourge that harms people. And it's yeah. bullshit. Yeah. And there's actually nothing wrong with my body plus or minus 10 pounds. Yeah. And I have to like how my body looks. Mm -hmm. I just have, I cannot, I cannot survive in a like, fat feminine of center body what whatever that means and it doesn't it, to me yeah when yeah. i see my body i have to like it and yeah. how the 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 feeling of failure was act of like i have to lose fucking 10 pounds and i have to do the fucking things i have to breathe the lie i have to eat the lie every oh. day because i can't survive otherwise Man. and i can't carry another fucking thing with my body every day yeah Dang. And it's, yeah. Well, listen, I do want you to know that like, if you, if you need, if you feel like in order for you to 
be who you are and live in this world and love yourself and you feel the need to do that is is in losing 10 pounds i'm never gonna like follow you for that because because it's it's your body like i just hope my hope is is that it's rooted in self-love and or an exploration and like how you can make your body look i mean i've got tattoos i've got piercings (laughs) like I, i don't know it's just I I just want those things to, to happen from a place of love and of pleasure and of, you know, just of goodness. You're never going to let me down, kid. You're never going to let me down. Yeah. So, but I, I, I'm really, I, I'm really thankful that you're willing to share that because I know that that is something that it is deeply personal. And, and I also think like is so valuable for other people to hear because I don't think we talk, I, I mean, I, we're going to talk a lot about intersectionality on, on this podcast, mm-hmm. but you know, I think that there's so many iterations of intersectionality that we haven't even thought about. And like, for you to bring that up is like, so, I mean, thank you. I, I it's something that, you know, from, from my perspective, I would have never considered, but I'm sure that there's lots of other people who have felt the same way, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm really happy that you're willing to explore it with me and <laughs> with our five listeners so dear listener d- dear listener so i'm feeling midwest uncomfortable with a compliment <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know cuz i think that there's this is this is how we get to the place of being able to put together practical recommendations and and create a framework for how we address anti-fatness in public health and in other fields right like This is another facet of intersectionality, and I think it's an opportunity to just talk more broadly about how we can do better in the prevention field. I think we can continue to ask questions about how we do research, right? Like, why are we including BMI as a thing that we measure when we're thinking about, when we're talking about health? Also, how the media is terrible, the media is terrible. Looking at you, The Economist. Oh, 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 man. And I love The Economist so much. They got some good stuff, but like <sighs> their recent Okay, so we're going to yeah, talk about it. This, so this is in The Economist from March 4th to 10th, 2023. The article is titled Big Shots, and it's about a new class of drugs that promises riches for drug makers. I mean, Ugh. it is The Economist. Yeah. Huge savings for health systems and better lives for millions. Third and third most. Um, and so it's The Economist. So there's a lot of shit about obesity and there's like graphs about like GDP, economic costs and blah, blah, blah. What is really important is how it ends. Oh. Uh, and one of the things about The Economist that I actually really like is they don't put authors. It, it's just published by The Economist. So you don't actually. Oh, so actually... we can't leave a burning pile of dog shit on their front door? Is that what? <laughs> Well, no, (laughs) you can't. Um, But this is how this is how they end this. And again, it's about so the the class of drugs is um, folks are starting to hear about them. There's a there's a yeah, there's a name that people are more familiar with. This is about semaglutide and terzipatide. Oh, that one's better. Terzipatide. I was like, they (laughs) they both sound terrible. Terzipatide. Yeah. Terzipatide and Semaglutide. semaglutide. But it's essentially an injection that you give yourself that will uh, enact weight loss. 
That's exactly right. And, however, you have to take it for the rest of your life or you rebound hard. Because your body is like, hey, let's get back to homeostasis. I'm in crisis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's very expensive. Uh, but the, right, the economist is talking about the 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 industry and the what the market can bear. Oh my God! What the market can bear. In many contexts, this is very helpful framing. Yeah, they just shat the bed <laughs> with this. So yeah. here is after talking about GDP and market share and a whole bunch of sciency shit. Great. Okay. Right. They they tapped in Lord Byron. For some fucking pros. I so wow. After GDP, here we are. This is the this is the conclusion. The fact that a growing share of humanity has more than enough to eat and no need to exhaust itself through constant, grueling physical labor should be a cause for celebration. Indeed, to most people it would seem an obvious sign of progress. Yet those same heartening trends are also entombing billions of people in a shroud of fat the misery associated with this global epidemic of obesity is vast it kills millions makes many more sick costs huge sums and is an unfathomable well of stigma and shame for those afflicted. If the new drugs being deployed against obesity can reduce this unhappy tally by even a small amount, they should be welcomed with open arms. So basically, they're saying like, hey, if you're able to afford getting this drug and having it for the rest of your life, getting down to whatever the ideal weight is, and allow pharmaceutical companies to continue to make billions of dollars off of, you know, weight loss cures. Cool, great. We are so happy. And we also didn't have to do any homework on the fact that a lot of what they just said is reinforcing anti-fat stigma and based on faulty research. Cool, great. Really excited. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, they really went over the handlebars and a complete lack of reflection. Like, I mean, again, shroud the shroud economy- <laughs> of fat. Entombed. Entombed. Yeah. I mean, The Economist is a weird, I guess, spot to pull up in uh, wanting high quality <laughs> <laughs> fat liberation content. They just usually do better. Yeah. Because I, I just think that as we acknowledge that we need to do better like we also have to evolve our language i mean we think about like queerness right like we've had to our length like the way that we talk about queer people has evolved so much oh yeah there was no queer Uh, or gender queer when i was a kid i didn't even know what that was yeah and i think it's the same i really think that it is this it's kind of that same pathway right like we we just need to continue to have conversations about you know, yeah, you're right. Like, how how do people identify as this if we want to figure out ways to address inequity? And one of the ways that we do that in public health is by looking at data. So we yeah. have to have these categories. And yeah, BMI is <laughs> probably not it. it. It's probably not it, but we got to So we have to figure out what is it. Yeah, right? we have to have a path to get there. Yeah. So I get it. BMI is not it. Okay, I'm here. There has to be a way to get there. Yeah. How do we understand? How do we do the thing that is necessary to disentrench people from their blind fealty to the yeah. BMI? 
right? Their religious adherence to it, mm-hmm. right? So how do we break them from that and also create a, a scientific pathway that is, go- that is what's going to move healthcare? Like, fine, the research is certainly skewed right now. So how do we unskew it, right? How do we actually create a currency within healthcare that will move healthcare providers and the insurers who pay for that, who, who set up quality metrics? How do we actually move them? Mm-hmm towards something that is truly valuable for health yeah it's been really good i really appreciate you you know sharing your personal story and also just talking about this you know again this podcast isn't about like we should do this or we should do that we're really just wanting to have conversations that can hopefully spark you know interest and inspiration in others to to really think about how they apply this to their own practice and to hopefully share, you know, their experiences. And, you know, we really want folks to come together and really think about, well, how do we, sh- how do we move the needle on something like this? Especially in, in public health where this kind of stuff is like, we have literally created an industry within our field that's around combating, quote unquote, the obesity epidemic, you know? Yeah, there's definitely work we have to do. And it, yeah. it realistically... Well, for me, anyway, I don't know realistically, but for me, it started with understanding my story and having yeah. more access to this type of content and surrounding my people or surrounding myself with people who like get it. Yeah. So it's about, you know, surrounding myself with people who understand and can help me put it together in a way that is useful to the work and useful to the communities that I serve. And you're one of those people. So appreciate you. You one of those people for me too. All right. All right. Well, that is the end of this episode. We really, really appreciate, um, you know, you listening. And of course, we want to make sure that you continue to listen. Please make sure you subscribe. Make sure you review. Share it with your buddies. And also, big shout out to Dream State Productions. And to the enigmatic Mr. Michael Conrad. Michael Conrad. Michael Conrad.